Psalms number 141, beginning at verse 1. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before, before thee as incense and lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be kindness. And let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God. Mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nest while I, whilst that I withal escape. Amen. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, we read these words. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We were talking about that in the Bible study a little while ago. Why is that so hard for God's people to believe? We believe that God, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We believe that He paid for the sins of His people. We have the gift of belief of who He is, what He's done, and where He is now. Why is it so hard for us to believe that our sins were paid for? What a blessing. Consider the magnitude of that blessing. I don't know if you've done that before, but if you haven't, you need to. What a, we see it slightly, just a little bit, but the depth of that blessing is so much, so big, so, so wonderful. It's hard for this sinful body, this sinful person who stands before you, to believe it. To believe that God shed His blood through His Son for me. For you. For His people. All of those that He has chosen from before the world was shall come to Him. Why? Because it's the power of God in the blood that was shed on that cross. Not some puny little wannabe saying, please come to me, but God who says, thou shalt come to me. I like a God who is in control of everything. I need a God who works all things out according to His purpose. Do you? Because I know I can't do anything. I know that in this flesh, there is no good thing. Will you turn in your Bibles to the third chapter of Romans? Last week, I began a series of messages from Luke. But Luke writes, and I want to reiterate this verse again, and I may do this often throughout this series of messages in the book of Luke. Because he begins his epistle, the gospel according to Luke. He begins it with these words. For as much as many have taken in hand and set forth in order, 
a declaration. Did you hear that? A declaration. It's not something up for debate. It's God's word. We declare unto you God's word. A declaration of those things which are most surely, most surely known and believed among us. Now I pray that you keep that statement in mind that it rings out throughout this entire epistle close to your heart. These things are the things that we know to be true. Those who are taught of God know these words to be true for God cannot lie. And Luke's writings are the inspired word of God. We went through five doctrines last week. Some call them the five points of Calvinism. I call them the five points of grace. Because that's where they are. Calvin didn't come up. John Calvin didn't come up with these five points. And that was the beginning of them. We read the gospels of, or the, uh, the doctrines of God's grace all the way from the garden where Adam and Eve were at all the way through the end of the book of Revelation. Fall of man, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. It's because of God's grace that those statements are true. We went through those five doctrines. We proclaimed them, that they are proclaimed. We pointed out that they are proclaimed throughout the word of God. We declare, we proclaim, we do not debate. Salvation is in Christ alone. By grace alone and through faith alone. That's the sincere milk of God's word. It's easy to digest. Even a child can understand that. It's the theme of every message God's preachers bring. Our God teaches us that we cannot, because of our sinful nature, come to him. And that there are none righteous. Isn't that what he teaches? Look with me if you would. Romans chapter 3 beginning at verse 9. This is God's word. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. Now I want you to listen. Listen to God's word here. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And then our Lord, goes, our Lord goes on to inspire Paul to write these words in verse 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. And with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the natural man. That's the way we come into this world. This is the holy, inspired word of God. Natural man, this is the doctrine of total depravity. This is the flesh that never gets any better. By God's grace, we do turn from the sin that so easily beset us at one time. But folks, even the slightest of sins re require death. We all must put off this body of death. And unless the Lord returns, we all must go through the door that's marked 
that the door marked death where this body will die. And if the Lord does return first, even then the chosen blood-bought people of God, those for whom Christ died on the cross, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's God's word. Here, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Paul, in an inspiration of God once again, writes, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Turn now, if you would, with me over to Romans chapter 9. Verse 10 of what we just read said this. It says, As it was written, there are none righteous, no, not one. Something must be done for one to be holy. Would you not agree? Something must be done before God, for one to be, for one to put off incorruptible. That's the sinful body. For one to be made righteous, something must be done for us. Our God is so holy, so righteous, that he cannot even look upon unholiness, upon sin. For one to be in the presence of our almighty God, one must be as holy as he is. We are told the fall of man. We are told of the fall of man from the very beginning of scriptures. And it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every man who's ever walked this earth, every woman, every child has come short of the glory of God for all of sin. This is a truth that all mankind have written on their sinful hearts. Every one of us come into this world knowing that we have sinned. That's why there's so many different religions. To cover the guilt that is within us. It's written on our hearts. Religion is nothing more than man trying to appease their guilt with something of their own imagination. Because of our daddy, Adam, we all know good from evil. Every one of us do. That's why God's preachers don't stand before people and tell you how to live. God's Word can do that. You know good and evil. You were born with it. You know what's wrong. Yet our God, in His grace, in His love, has provided a way for a people to be with Him. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 9, verse 11. For the children being not yet born. Now that's speaking of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau are the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. You'll recall that Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was promised a son. Him and his wife Sarah were promised a son. And it wasn't until they were of old age, way past the bearing of children, when the Lord gave them the answer and the, and the fulfillment of that promise. You know why? To show you and I that it, to be saved is impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. For the children being not yet born, the, the twins, neither having done any good or evil, before they were even born from their mother's womb, before they ever had a chance to do anything good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. God chose a people before they were ever out of the womb of the world. God chose you and I before the world was ever created. We were written on the breastplate of God before a star ever twinkled in the sky. 
Jesus Christ, our Savior, is known and called in the book of Revelation the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He told his disciples and apostles when he walked this earth with them, as we've seen recently in the book of Mark, we come to Jerusalem that I might be killed, die, be buried, and raised again the third day. He came with a purpose. A purpose to save his people. Folks, our God came here for us. Everything in creation is for his people. Throughout all time is for us. That all that the Father giveth him, from Adam all the way in to the end, to the last one whom he calls out of darkness, shall walk this earth. All of the Father had given him shall come to him. That's his word. These two children, these two young men, in their, these babies who were in their mother's womb, before they had any chance to do anything good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Verse 12, it says, it, 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 was said it, is, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, before they were ever born. He told Rebekah, what you have inside of you is two nations. One, the elder will serve the younger. Verse 13, as it is written, it says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Did you notice what it said there at the beginning of that verse? What does it say? It says, as it is written, that's talking about the Old Testament. If you look up that word under Young's Dictionary or any Bible translators, you'll find that there's an interpretation there that says, loved less. And then in parentheses right next to that, it says, inserted. That means somebody came by afterwards. And because of what they see in the old in the New Testament, they inserted that love less. Folks, I'm telling you something. Our God has never done anything less than perfect. Everything about him is perfect. His love is perfect. His salvation is perfect. It has to be, because that's what God the Father requires. You and I can't do anything perfect, but our God, our Lord Jesus, has nothing but the blood. As it is written. Jacob have I loved. You know, you go back to the Old Testament, there's no words in there about love less. It's very clear. He hated. He hated. He hates workers of iniquity. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. It's not your so-called free will. It's not so your so-called works that you run with, but of God that showeth mercy. And then our Lord brings out something through Paul that makes what he just said there, what we just read, so clear. You cannot argue. Verse 17, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, 
and whom he will, he hardeneth. That's the grace of God. That's the magnitude of his grace towards you and I. That's the magnitude of his grace and not only in shining his mercy upon us, but sending his son as our propitiation. Turn now, if you would, over to Luke chapter 1. Some will have the grace of God, the light of God, shined in their heart. Not the old stony heart that we were all born with, but a new heart that loves His Word, loves His truths, except all of His Word is true. In Ezekiel 36, 26, our Lord declares this very clearly. He says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Is that any more clear? That's the salvation of God. He must come to us. We must be born again. Without being born again, we cannot understand the kingdom of God. Many will read about the kingdom of God and come to an understanding of their own. Some of us here did that before, didn't we? It's called the new birth. The new birth. Our Lord said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Folks, where there is no faith, faith must be given. These are the truths that only God can teach. Men may speak the words of God from the pulpits that He has sent them to, but God must teach the heart. He must teach the soul. There are those who, whom God has sent into all the corners of the world, and that means all nations, all tongues, to preach the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness. Preachers of righteousness that have been sent out throughout all time, that he, our God, may teach his elect, his chosen. Those that he was chosen before the world was those that he has loved with an eternal love. Everything about creation, everything about what we call time, is for those that he has loved from the foundation of the world. He created everything for us because he loves us. Though our sin had separated us from him, yet his word declares some to be righteous. Are you with me in the book of Luke? Look at verses 5 and 6. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, and of the course Abai, Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord. Blameless. Wow. Wow, John. How are you going to explain that one? Not with the words of John. We interpret Scripture with Scripture. We take it in the context that is given us in the Word of God, and we look throughout words the Word of God, and take it according to all of His Scriptures. What an example that God has given you and I. Zacharias and Elizabeth set before us the characters of righteousness. We are told that they were both righteous before God. How can that be? How can they be? How can that be after what we had just read in, in Romans? Are they any different than you and I? 
No, not at all. For as we have read, all have sinned, so how are they righteous before God, you might ask. The world of religion would use these last words to explain their wicked desires of earning salvation. What must I do? If I could just do something, if I could just reach over and pick up the medicine that's there on the night table, that's the way of the world. If I could just come down to the front and pray a prayer with somebody, maybe I could, maybe if, what about, can I just get in the waters of baptism? Can I just come to the table? Can I do that? They use these words, walking in the commandments and the ordinance of God blamelessly, and this is where the world of religion makes their great error. They interpret these words as though they stand alone. You ever noticed when you're talking to somebody of one of the other religions, and I'm not talking about just Catholicism, I'm not talking about just Mormonism, I'm not talking about <coughs> watchtower people, I'm talking about people who call themselves Christians. You ever notice the first thing that they'll throw out there is John 3.16? At least half. At least. At least that much. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And that's where they stop. That's the emphasis that they put on that phrase. That's using God's word in a singular way. Because we know that over in John 17, our Lord says in his own words, I pray not for the world, don't we? So don't we have to take that into consideration when we read John 3.16, For God so loved the world? If you take John 17 and John 3.16 and you put them together and you consider them both as God's Word, as the counsel of God, then you must think that when God's talking about the world, maybe He's talking about all of creation, all of time. Maybe He's talking about His people throughout all the world. Maybe he's talking about his people who are in every nation, in every tribe, who speak every tongue throughout all time. We must interpret Scripture with Scripture. And Scripture declares there is only one righteousness that God will accept. The righteousness of his perfect holy Son. The word righteous means this, it means equitable in character or act, by implication, innocent, holy, just, meet. With the word of God as our interpreter, what we have already read would be in contrast to these words that we read in John 6 of, John, of Luke chapter 1. Would it not be? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, you, 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 you turn over to 2 Corinthians, we'll be there in just a moment. But in Romans chapter 5, listen to these words. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Now we're asking the question, how can these two be considered righteous before God when the scriptures say to us that there are none righteous? For by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Only those for whom he is loved, only for those for whom he has died, will be seen 
as righteous before him. If the gospel could be summed up in one word, it's this. Substitution. Substitution. Christ Jesus the Lord, our substitute, the life-giving substitute for his people. We who by God's gracious gift believe the Christ of the Lord. Look at verse 17 through 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17 through 21. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and having committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are the ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us. This God the Son is, is described next where it says, who knew no sin. Our Jesus, our God Almighty in the flesh, is perfect in everything. Everything he does please the Father. That's what we need. That's the righteousness that you and I need. We can't do that on our own. Everything we do is mixed with sin. There's more sin in my pinky than enough to kill me. Right there. There's enough sin in your smallest part of your body, in the pinnacle of your hair, to demand God's wrath upon us. We need holiness. I need a substitute. Do you? I need somebody who can do it for me because I can't do it on my own. This flesh doesn't get any better. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. Let me read it correctly. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How were they righteous before God the same way you and I are? Did they walk according to the, the, the statutes of Christ? Did they walk in all the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord? Yes. But that's not what made them blameless. They did it the best they could. They followed the ordinances. We're coming to the Lord's table. That's following the ordinance of God. Most of us have been baptized of you. That's following the ordinance of God. We come to church on Sundays and worship the one and living true God of Almighty. That does not save us. Christ is the one who saved us. His righteousness being imputed to us. This is what it is to be righteous before God. It's to be in our substitute. When He walked this earth perfectly in all things, those for whom he died were in him. Read Ephesians 1, 3 through 7. In him. When he went and laid down his life, dying in our stead, we who were called of him before the world was, we who are called with him with the power of God, we were in him. We died in him when he died on that cross. 
when he arose from the dead, from the grave, proving to God the Father, that proving that God the Father had accepted his death, that he had accepted his son's righteous blood as the satisfactory atonement for his people. And when he, God the Father, raised him to sit at the right hand of God, the throne of all power, we were made to sit with him in heavenly places. That's what it says in Ephesians 2 6. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. To a true sinner, to one who hears the wonderful grace of Jesus through his word, hears it with the heart. One who knows that we deserve the wrath of God. No one that knows that God took our wrath upon himself. We're like the man over in the corner, the publican, crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. I got nothing to stand up before God and say, thank you that I'm not like those folks. Because I was. I walked just like they did. Yet by his grace, by his grace and grace alone, he has caused me to walk where I am today. Turn me, O Lord, and I will be turned. In Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God, God's people are seen as righteous as Christ himself. Our sins are gone, gone, gone. Look over at Psalms 103 with me. In Psalms 103, beginning at verse 1, we read these words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. <laughs> Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, he is in you. He dwells in temples that are made without hand. The temples of his chosen, blood-bought children's hearts. The new heart that he has given us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. That's what I've been speaking about the whole time. Everything about God's grace for us is his loving kindness towards his people. Tender mercies towards us. Verse 5. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses. He acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Folks, we are as righteous as God Almighty. That's pretty tough to understand in this flesh, isn't it? No, maybe it might not be for you. Maybe you maybe you are walking a perfect life that you think you're walking in now after God 
the God that you believe in has called you out of darkness. But God's people know we will always be sinners until the Lord takes us out of this world. There will always be that battle between the flesh and the spirit. How can I be seen as righteous before God? If God looks upon you in His Son, that's how. How can I know if God looks upon me in His Son? It says in John 3.16, Whosoever believeth. Do you believe? That last part that we read there in our text in verse 6, it said, Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. That is the result of God working in us. Blameless is the result of Christ's work for us. Amen to that.